Welcome to On the Path podcast. I'm Robert Jimenez here with the dude of theology, Michael Harden. How you doing, Michael? Hey, Robert. It's a good day in Lancaster. Nice to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. It's hot out here. We're at 105. <laughs> Welcome to Hades. But it's dry heat. No humidity. Yeah. yeah. We've got a nice, nice day today. It's probably only 89, 90 and no, and no humidity. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. So what's what happening, man? Well, man, what a what a week. Um, it's interesting. I, you know, this COVID time, I don't know what else to call it. COVID time, right. you know, yeah. <laughs> quarantine time. I almost started to write a song about quarantine, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure everybody and their brother's done it already, so no sense in reinventing the wheel. But it's a strange time. It's... um. I, last month, I had two days that were very challenging for me. Just, just uh, to tr- you know, I mean, I do my best to go through each day, living moment by moment, just with grateful for for life and all the the, the things that life brings, the relationships, the friendships, the things, you know. And and man, there were two days last month, dude. It was just tough. It's, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting time. What it's doing to me emotionally. What it's doing to people and society emotionally. Yeah, it's crazy, man. I was watching, you know, I've been home going on my sixth week because I can't go back to work until I test negative. So right. I've taken the test, but there's so many people <clears throat> testing right now that um, it's just being delayed. So I've become kind of a YouTube junkie, unfortunately. Um, but I was watching this video, this guy, I don't know if you heard about that guy stabbing that 77 year old man because they were telling him to wear a mask and Right. He didn't want to. And then uh, police came and found him yesterday and he goes after the police officer with a knife and a screwdriver and ended up shooting him and killing him. Oh, gosh. It's just bad, man. I like God, I'm like, I mean, I'm I'm really of the position. Look, whether you believe in the coronavirus or not, just wear the mask, wear the mask for the sanity of others. Be unselfish, you know. Well, you'll remember last year. I kept talking about the escalation of violence in culture, and it and and then in March I said this is going to be a brutal summer. And yeah, it out to be, you know, I mean, and the thing is, if you know the patterns, you know, the first the psychological pattern of the mimetic theory, and how crowds react and all this, and then you kind of place that pattern on the nation, and you can see the Cain and Abel uh, right, right. being played out in the nation, and, and you combine that with just history and historical data and generational cycles in American history. And the fun thing is, uh, Neil Howe, William Strauss have their book, The Fourth Turning, and I, I think for me that's becoming as important as Rene Girard's Violence in the Sacred or Things Hidden from the Foundation of the World or Bart's Dogmatics. It's um, it's one of those books I think everybody must read in order to understand the time we're in. And if you're a millennial listening to this, you must read it. The Fourth Turning, uh, William Howe, uh, uh, William Strauss, and Neil Howe. Um, we are in a uh, a, a fourth of uh, fourth uh, period of a cycle, and America's been through this four times already. And each time, what's interesting is after the fourth turning, it's a great crisis. There's usually a war, a currency crisis. And then the next generation are the artists. And um, uh, it's really remarkable. I was thinking back to the 60s when this happened. You know, uh, we had um, the crisis leading up to, we had Vietnam, of course. uh, Currency crisis of 71, Nixon took us off the gold standard. And yet that period was so fruitful and fructifying with great music. So I'm thinking to myself, you know what? If, if Neil Howe is correct, in about two or three years, we're going to have start having great music again. <laughs> well, that'd be good because I'm guessing within the next 10 years, all the uh, rock and roll icons will be gone. Yeah, they will. They will. That's sad too. You know, I mean, when you have people like uh, Chris Squire of Yes died, you know, yeah, and you're yeah. back and and I just, you know, that Yes is my band, and oh, that, it's uh, you you feel old when that stuff starts happening. Yeah, no kidding, man. I I mean, you're roughly about ten years older than me, so you got a, a little bit of extra mileage on you. <laughs> yeah, you think so? 
I grew up in San Francisco in the 60s and 70s. This is a lot of extra knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got a good friend about your age, too. Guy named yeah, Ron. Boy. Good, good friend. All right. Well, it's not so bad. You know, at 60 was tough. Uh, in only in the sense that it was the first time in my life I realized, my gosh, you know, I've, I'm 60. I, I'm now old. Yeah. I'm looking back on life, you know. You're, but, you're, you're young old. You know, I'm young old. But <laughs> since I've been 60, I've really learned Kierkegaard's dictum, life is lived forward, but it's only understood backward. I live yeah. my life forward. I really, really do. But I spend a lot of time reflecting on the patterns of my life, where I've seen right. the working in my life, where... You know, I'm just uh, seeing relationships that have happened, some for very brief periods of time, and yet how influential they've been. So I bet I just do a lot of backward thinking and a lot of forward looking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And no, I find myself doing the same. I think probably a lot has to do with it. Our kids are all grown. And so you do reflect back a lot. You know, you think back, you know, good decisions, you know, whatever, regrets, things that you enjoyed. Um mm -hmm. But all that kind of stuff, you know, I just, yeah, you know, another uh, YouTube uh, video that I saw was this guy, uh, you know, typical evangelical preaching, but this one guy just kept getting in his face, just yelling at him <laughs> to shut up, to stop, you know, and the guy's just kind of saying, hey, it's my First Amendment right. And then the guy just keeps shoving into him and the guy kind of puts his hand up. He goes, why are you hitting me? He's like, and the guy's not doing anything. He's just trying to protect himself. Right. Finally, finally, a police officer, undercover police officer actually shows up and kind of calmed the whole situation down. You know, I, it's just I don't know, man. I, it's unfortunate that all this is happening during an election year because everything is being politicized. Right. Well, everything has become Manichaean dualism in America. Um, what's funny is, you know, the other thing that struck me about the uh, fourth turning book was. We talk about postmodernism like it's so avant-garde, you know, we're postmodern. Right. Do you know, every single fourth turning produces its own version of postmodernism. It's just so funny to go back and look at where America is at philosophically during these turnings. Yeah. We're, we're not as smart or wise as we think. We're not as progressive as we think. Yeah. You know, technology is progressive. Science is progressive, but the human species is a species. I mean, Einstein was right. You know, we uh, we 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 can't. We're, we're just little children still. Yeah, yeah, and it's just um, the violence just seems at an all time high. You know, me growing up, I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. You know, and, oh man, uh, fifty years ago, South Central LA was tough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 and. Uh, you know, we moved to another city, uh, Huntington Park, which was probably about five, eight miles from South Central L.A. Mm -hmm. And it was a declining white community. You know, mostly Hispanics were starting to move in now. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, it was a rough neighborhood, man. And 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 being violent, you know, you, you know, I, I grew up in a home where uh, my dad's brother was uh, a, a big drug dealer and stuff and uh, oh, very, very violent guy. And so were my cousins and my brothers. And, you know, as a kid, you look up to these guys because they're cool. They're tough, you know. Right. And yeah, 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 man. And that Run, kind of stuff. Yeah it, yeah, it influences you in the wrong way, unfortunately. Now, fortunately for me, as, you know, I kind of took a different route in life. But uh, and much of that had to do with me becoming a Christian. I think if I hadn't become a Christian at about 14, 15 years old, uh, who knows what path I would have taken, you know. Right. And, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. I kind of, you know, I was you talking about reflecting. I was thinking back about when I first started going to church. I mean, socially, the church was doing a lot of good at the time back in 1980. Mm -hmm. You know, they were really going into the streets and reaching out to gang members. And, you know, if nothing else, they were really trans, you know, their lives were being transformed from life of gangs and prisons and drugs to, you know, a good life. Yeah, I don't I don't know what happened to the church I belong to, but it seems that it's so far from that nowadays. You know, it's just become this big organization, you know. Well, that's what happened. It was that was the end, tail end of the Jesus movement. It was. Yeah, the, totally the tail end. You got it. Yep. Because we were in it back in California doing the same thing, street ministries and everything. Living yeah. in the Christian community, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, the Jesus movement got uh co-opted 
I, I mean, the whole thing got co-opted, first of all, by the charismatics and the shepherding movement, which was too bad. Right, right. And then uh, and then it got co-opted in another way with the formation of the moral majority at Jerry Falwell's office back at that time. So, yeah, it was a lose-lose situation for the Jesus movement. Yep. So uh, what's happening in the uh, world of news and religion? Well, that's funny. I go online, I look in the news, and there's nothing. It's absolutely boring. <laughs> Christianity is boring. <laughs> my next book, Christianity is boring. <laughs> Let me write a 70-page book and show you how boring. And if you ever finish it without falling asleep, I'll pay you a million dollars. So we got nothing, huh? You know, Christianity has rendered itself completely irrelevant in America. Um, back in... Um, 2017, October of 2017, the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation, I'm invited to preach here locally at a United Church of Christ Church. And I stood up in the pulpit that day and I said, you know, churches around the world are celebrating the 500th year anniversary of the Reformation. And I talked about that a bit, what it meant for these churches to celebrate 500 years of a tradition. And then I told them, I'm not here to offer praise or condemnation of the Reformation. I am simply here to do its funeral because Protestantism in America is dead. And I did a funeral sermon. Hmm. And then I turned it into a book called Knowing God. And that's the most recent book. Is by, it's a, basically an extended funeral sermon on America and what she would need to do to follow Jesus. But right. institutional Christianity as such is dead. You know, people ask me all the time, what's a church going to look like in years? I tell them, how do I know? I'm not five or 10 years down the road. That's organic. That's the work of the spirit. You know, right, right. Uh, to try and say, what's it going to look like? It would be impossible. Yeah. You know, um, and things are changing so rapidly right now. Uh, really, really, really rapidly politically, economically, socially, geopolitically, you know, I mean, we're in a, we are in a, uh, uh, the more the, you know the body needs a certain amount of stress to change you need stress to change too little stress there's no change too much stress and and you're just changing too fast and it's and you can't adapt we are right. right now where things are changing rapidly and people have no ground under their feet they just know where to stand yeah yeah you know things are changing literally day by day almost you know so, yeah, I, you know, I, I feel sorry for folks that don't um, that don't know the father and follow Jesus. Um, I, I'm sad that that they are in uh, so many of them, not all of them. There are, there are obviously going to be any number of folks that, that have a good relationship with what you and I might call the universe. Grandfather might call the creator. Native Americans would right, call right. it the history. And those can be very healthy relationships when they're not manipulative, yeah. um, you know, um, but uh, Christians, I, I feel sorry for. I, I just, you know, I don't know. It's uh, it's a sad state of affairs for Christians in America. The, the, the progressive liberals, uh, they have turned Jesus into an absolute facade. Uh, with his uh, social revolutionary, modern monetary theory, theology of glory kind of thinking. The conservatives have their Rambo Jesus with his guns. Yeah. And, and you know, the Jesus that's on sale in America, man, easy to buy, easy to follow. The Jesus of American Christianity is real easy because he fits in your camp, you know. Right, right. He's got their own Jesus. And I say to everybody, until you are troubled by that fact, and until you have put out there to the living Lord Jesus, I'm willing to follow you, not what people say about you, but just you. And I'm willing to take that risk and that gamble. You right. have no idea. You know, the Anabaptists said it best to know Christ is to follow him. And only those who follow him know him. But discipleship is a lost, lost art and science in modern Christianity, just like it was in 1930s Germany. And Bonhoeffer tried to, to write about it just like it was in 19th century Copenhagen and Kierkegaard tried to write about it and it's like every generation seems to to need that clarion call back to follow Jesus yeah you know when I was uh, rethinking Christianity you know that eventually got me booted out of church um, the one of the things that I struggled with the most is 
well, then what is the gospel? You know, that's, mm-hmm. I had a, man, I spent probably the most amount of time rethinking that one, you know, because I came from that framework, you know, where I think most of us come from, you know, there's hell and you need to repent, you know, you're going to go to hell, you know, the father loves you. And, you know, like, I think it's like, like Campbell says, right. Like Douglas Campbell says, it comes from a good place, but now they're committed to this, you know? Yeah. Uh, And so I had to uh, really rethink and kind of the place where, I kind of landed was I just kind of focused back on Jesus and I says, okay, so he's, I'm told that he's the Prince of peace mm-hmm. and that he's wants to bring peace on earth. And so if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we have to live peacefully with others. So, and, and, and for me, so part of the gospel, or maybe that is part of the, well, part of the gospel is I think knowing the father, as you were saying, but part of the gospel is when you're talking to others about it has to be that, if they become followers of Jesus, then that's one more person on this planet that is really seeking peace on earth. Yes. Right. So you figure, well, if we can get everybody to truly follow Jesus, then maybe we wouldn't have any more wars or racism or any of this other stuff that these violent acts that we're constantly seeing, you know? No, we wouldn't. We wouldn't have any of this. Uh, we would actually have the kingdom, the reign of God. Right. Right. Love, joy, peace. You know, fellowship, mercy, pardon, forgiveness, gentleness, meekness, humility. It would all be, we would all exhibit that in our character. Yeah. Yeah, man. That one, but I mean, it sounds simple, but I got to tell you, that was the one I struggled with the hardest. (laughs) I hear it, Bob. (laughs) So, uh, since we don't got much on religion on the news, you want to hop into uh, talk about Karl Barth? I would love to. Um, the last time we talked about Bart, I focused on the anti-idolatry theme of his early writings and noted how um, the god of Christendom had been totally co-opted by the German academic elite, uh, historical critics, you know, Adolf von Harnack and others, um, you know, Emanuel Hirsch and others that, that would essentially um, support the I'm sorry, not Hearst was Second World War, um, but von Harnack and, and, uh, would support the cause for the German um, push into taking over Europe with superior culture. And uh, of course that disappointed Bart and, and Bonhoeffer as well. And Bart would end up writing his fiery epistle to the Romans as well as a number of other uh, pieces during that time. But at the turn of the 1930s, after the 1920s, the 1920s in Germany were particular, they, they were very hard. The roaring 20s here in the States, uh, Germany had reparations. They had to pay back um, France and, and England and uh, for the war. And so they were broke. And Germany went into a period of hyperinflation. And Bart talks in one of his letters about uh, watching people take wheelbarrows of money to go down and buy a loaf of bread, you know. And so that it was particularly hard. And, and it... It created the ground uh, for the rise of uh, Hitler in Germany, for a Mussolini in Italy, you know, uh, for a Stalin in Russia. Uh, wherever there's great poverty, uh, strong, well, I, I will say strong men, because uh, I imagine you could have a strong woman in that sense of strong men, uh, but it, in this case, they were all men. Uh, they arose to fill a political void, a void where um, people didn't know what to do, so the government was going to tell them what to do. And by the way, that's exactly where we're at in America today at that point in this turning. Um, uh, the, the, the country is seeking order, but the government's not providing it. Right. And uh, so there's, there's going to end up being a shift uh I hope we don't lose our democracy. I really, really, I really, really hope we don't lose our democracy. We could. We could lose our democracy in America, just like Germany lost hers uh, for a season uh, during the 30s. But during this time, Bart has begun to realize that there's a mistake in his theology. I don't know if you can imagine this. You know, you're the great Karl Bart, right? Right. And you've been writing and teaching and lecturing, you know, for 15, 20 years. And all of a sudden you go... Oh gosh, I've got to change directions. I've got a, I've got something here I've seen and I, I can't undo it, so I might as well change. And for me, that that took place when I learned my medic theory with Girard, you know. But for Bart, 
It took place when he discovered Anselm's Proslogion in the late 1920s. Anselm's a medieval thinker from the um, 11th, 12th centuries there, and he wrote a book, uh, basically, How Do We Know God? I mean, it's, you could that's the Proslogion, you know, How Do We Know God? Right. Anselm basically says, when it comes to knowledge of God, we do not start with knowledge. We start with, with faith. And it is not knowledge that seeks faith. That's, of course, the modern enlightenment problem. And it was also the ancient philosophical problem. It's basically been the problem of any form of uh, knowledge-based thinking, and especially in religious form, Gnosticism. Knowledge leads to faith. No. And some said faith seeks understanding. Fetus right. intellect and faith seeks understanding. Faith has its own intelligence. Faith has its own logic. And uh, what Bart saw was that if if you look at the Christian tradition, it's faith that is is in this one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. What Bart recognized right off the bat is that the doctrine of the Trinity is not the object of Christian faith. We do it so wrong in the West. We we go to people, you got to believe in the Trinity. No, 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 no. The Trinity is not the object of faith. Right. It's one God. So Bart, in his very first volume of the Church Dogmatics, that in 1932, it's a it's actually a reissue of an attempt he made in the late 20s, so he redoes it. And he, in this volume, says, look, the doctrine of the Trinity is the hermeneutic, it's the lens, it's the glasses that help you see and understand this God of Scripture. And so um, I mention that because when Bart begins his battle in the 1930s against the encroaching Nazism of Christianity, and you have this is very, very important. Um, Christian Protestant Christianity, I'll leave the Catholics have their own issues with this with the Nazis during this time, but Protestant Christianity, Lutheran Christianity, uh, pretty much went wholesale over to uh, Nazifying their with Nazi banners, Nazi altar cloths, Nazi salutes, you know, everything was Nazified. In the same way that the evangelical and fundamentalist churches today are are um, militarized or republicanized, you know, um, we see the same phenomenon. Uh, but back then, Bart wanted to to take a stand against this, and he he does this in some very important writings. The first one of which is a volume called Theological Existence Today. And so, so for the next three uh, works, what I'd like to do is read a little bit from each of these writings, again, sure. to give folks a feel uh, for Bart and then to comment on it. But Theological Existence Today was published in June of 1933, six months after the Reich Bishop was installed by Hitler, uh, six months after Hitler had begun a whole series of emergency laws stripping the Jews of first their civil rights and then their human rights. And uh, when you have a Reich bishop appointed over the church, the Reich bishop can tell the churches what they can and cannot say, what they can preach and cannot preach. Uh, you know, kind of like we see in the charismatic authoritarian movement or, you know, the moral majority, you know, and these kinds of things. And you know what happens if you disagree with a, with a fundamentalist or an evangelical in church or booted. So what Bart is going to deal <laughs> with here is, is, is this issue of now the crisis that's happening in Germany. And he say, he begins this wonderful little 10,000-word essay by saying, for a good while back, I've been frequently asked if I had nothing to say about the concerns and problems affecting the German church nowadays. I can no longer ignore these requests, coming as they do from many of my former pupils and others who share my theological outlook. But I must at once make clear that the essence of what I attempt to contribute today, bearing upon these anxieties and problems, cannot be made the theme of a particular manifesto for the simple reason that at Bonn, here, that's the city in Germany he's teaching at, with my students in lectures and courses, 
I endeavor to carry on theology, and only theology, now, as previously, and as if nothing had happened. And this is remarkable. This is a very remarkable turn of phrase because one of the things Karl Barth is known for in the early years is saying he reads the Bible with one hand and the newspaper in the other. I don't know if you've ever heard that. You know? No, no, no. You know? And here what Bart is saying is I'm going to carry on doing theology without reference to the newspaper. Because what Bart had discovered is when, you, when you're doing theological work and you always have an eye on human culture, the tendency is to water down the theological work to try and make it relevant, to try and make it useful, to try and make it interesting. Right. In other words, you're no longer being true to your source. You're no longer actually exegeting using the... Um, uh, the particular ways that that source is communicating and uh, the kind of what type of knowledge it offers. So Bart saw the real problem in this because there's another facet here, and that's this. Some of the good friends that he had begun the movement with in the 1920s, like uh, Emil Brunner, Rudolf Bultmann, Friedrich Gogarten, he broke from every single one of them because every single one of them at, at some point had what Bart called the problem of theology. And that is defined as the analogy of being. And the analogy of being means I begin my theological thinking, first of all, establishing how I know what I know, and then my rules for engaging philosophy and culture. And once I've established all of this, then I can go, okay, theologically, biblically, here's what I'm going to do. And Bart noted that that is a problem because the gospel comes straight away and wipes that out and gives us our only presupposition. And our only presupposition is the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is revealed as Father, Son, and Spirit. And so when Bart is writing Theological Existence Today, he's not leaving behind uh, his interest in where society is at. He's not leaving behind uh, even how theology will engage society, because he, throughout the 30s, he continues to, to write all kinds of political tracts. But what he's doing is he's saying that theology can't afford to compromise itself, even when the external situation demands that theology turn and pay attention to it. Theology must continue on doing its work, which is the proclamation, or the, I should say, it's, the preaching is the proclamation of the gospel. Theology critiques the proclamation of the gospel. It's there as a, a check and balance. But <clears throat> one year later, almost one year later, 11 months, Bart would meet with a group of reformed Lutheran and United Church pastors in a suburb of Berlin, in Barmendalem, and there over the course of three days, May 10, 11, and 12 of 1934, that synod would produce the most important confessional document since the time of the Reformation, known as the Barman Declaration. And you can Wikipedia the Barman Declaration, you can read uh, its six articles, but the key thing about the Barman Declaration is that it's actually built on, or built around, I should say, the um, Theological Existence Today document that I just told you about. So hmm. for those that want to do some more serious BART work, uh, they'll want to read Theological Existence Today prior to reading Barman. And there's a number of excellent books uh, that do the you know kind of archaeological work here. But I want to read you the opening paragraphs of, of the Barman Declaration. Remember, um, they're writing this because the Reich government uh, had put in the um, Reich bishop. And, and so the uh, first article here talks about the inviolable foundation of the German evangelical church is the gospel of Jesus Christ as it is attested for us in Holy Scripture, brought to light again in the confessions of the Reformation. The full powers that the church needs for its mission are hereby determined and limited and and then it, it's going to go on with a series of what they're going to accept and what they're going to reject. And what they're going to accept, the very first article, the very first article, in view of the errors of the German Christians who saw Hitler, um, this is me now, not Barman, who saw Hitler as a savior, 
who saw the Third Reich as a millennium, who were interpreting everything through this rather apocalyptic lens, you know, of uh, uh, the German Third Reich, you know, with the, the thousand year reign. I mean, they, there's all this this Christian language and the church right, was right. sucked up into it the same way the charismatics and fundamentalists got sucked up into the whole Trump is Cyrus 40, Isaiah 45 nonsense, which is, by the way, identical to what was going on in Nazi Germany with Hitler. Um, in view, I'm going to read now Barman, in view of the errors of the German Christians of the present Reich church government, which are devastating the church and therefore breaking up the unity of the German evangelical church, we confess the following evangelical truths. Number one, quote, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that one is a thief and a robber. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. John 10, 1 and 9. And then it carries on. Jesus Christ, as he is attested for us in Holy Scripture, is the one word of God, which we have to hear and which we have to trust and obey in life and in death. We reject the false doctrine as though the church could and would have to acknowledge as a source of its proclamation, apart from and besides this one word of God, still other events, powers, figures, and truths as God's revelation. Now, that first thesis of Barman is not only a stab in the heart to current Protestant um, evangelical uh, and fundamentalist thinking in America, it's also a direct dagger to the heart of progressive liberal Christianity, which tends to take its truths and its presuppositions from the social sciences, the humanities, and, and these kinds of things. It's, this is the problematic that I just cannot seem to get my liberal uh, progressive Christian friends to see. They're not doing Christian theology. Right. They, think they're, they think they're reading scripture. They think they're doing theology. They think they're articulating Jesus. I just received an email from a friend of mine today, older friend. Uh, oh, he's 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 older than I am, you know, and he's he's been an activist his whole life and he's very, very to the left. And, you know, and he sends me this this thing. He didn't like uh, something I said about um, the cleansing of the temple narrative, you know, and right. I, said, I don't follow Ched Meyer's interpretation of it. I know that Ched Meyer's interpretation is 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 popular, you know, and has been since it came out 30 years ago for the progressive people. They want to see the temple narrative was some kind of sit-in protest thing. It wasn't that at all. Um, and I said, and I, and, and at whatever I was writing or saying, I said, AOC, uh, you know, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez, doesn't know anything about economics. And he took umbrage at that, you know? And I just, hmm. I, I mean, look, I look at AOC, and what do I see? I, I see a vibrant, passionate, um, I mean, I, there's a lot I like about her po policy positions and things, but she doesn't know economics. And she brags about, I got this degree in economics. No, hun, what you did was you went to a university, you got indoctrinated, and then you got into modern monetary theory, and now you're <laughs> spending away, and you're going to ruin the United States. So don't tell me you got a doctrine, uh, you got a you, you got economic uh, master's degree. You're, that's like the PhDs out there that, you know, oh, I've got a PhD in theology. And it's like, really? Well, it just it hasn't changed your character. Right. <laughs> right. Come on. You know, you're not as smart as you think you are. Right. Um, by the way, did I tell you Facebook punished me? Oh, did they? Yeah. I'll, I'll carry on with Bart in a minute. Yeah. I, I wrote uh, I wrote in a comment on somebody's page. There was there was this Christian insanity going on there with, you know, right. the rapture and this and that. And then I wrote. I wrote, Christians are so stupid. If there ever was a zombie apocalypse, they wouldn't have to worry. Christians need brain. Uh, zombies need brains. And I got blocked for hate speech. <laughs> but let me come yeah, back to Bart. Because the next year, the following year, um, a book is going to be published by one of his former true comrades, uh, Dr. Imo Bruner. Um, and Bruner wrote a book called Nature and Grace, saying, look, there's general revelation and there's special revelation. Special revelation comes, you know, through scripture and the spirit, but there's this general revelation and people can kind of get this knowledge of God. God kind of reveals God's general self, you know, through history and and mm -hmm. and um, all the things that Bart was railing against in Barman, you know, uh, people and, and processes and, you know, kind of that, that deist, you can see the hand of God in history, you know, but in this case, it's being done through a particular philosophical lens, but that's not important. But Bruner 
uh, wrote this book, and Bart wrote a scathing critique of it with a one-word title. Do you know what that word was? Mm-mm. No. Yeah. <laughs> In German, nine. 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 But here he says, and I'm going to read from the end of this particular book. He says, In speaking of a destruction of all the fictions of worldviews, of making the knowledge of God uncertain and turning it into a knowledge of the wrath of God. That is, if I can, if I can uh, show you that all your knowledge of God is false, right? Right. And, and then I'm going to say, now we know, you know, from scripture, God is loving and God is wrathful. You're experiencing the wrath of God. That's your experience in the, of the wrath of God is all this, these idols you make. Uh, in turning it into a knowledge of the wrath of God, of the demonstration of the desperate character of our existence, etc. And this is the Lutheran thing. I have to show you how bad you are, how much you need Jesus. Your life is miserable. You need Jesus. You're, like, you're terrible. You're a sinner. You're going to burn in hell. You need Jesus. That's, that, that's what he's talking about there. <clears throat> People that do this, he says, Bruner's stating that these are real theological problems, and they are, aren't they? Right? Right. Bart goes on. But... This theological problem is put to us by the truth presented in the scriptures, creeds, and confessions that man is, and pardon the the old style man, woman stuff here, you know, uh, this is 1930 translations. Besides the theological problem is put to us by the truth presented in scriptures, creeds, and confessions that man is of himself unable to find access to the revelation of God. Just because Christ is born, we have to regard the world as lost in the sight of God. The word of God declares man to be unfree in his relations with God. The fact that we have become hearers and doers of the word signifies the realization of a divine possibility, not of one that is inherent in our human nature. Freedom to know the true God is a miracle, a freedom of God, not one of our freedoms. Faith in the revelation of God makes this negation inevitable. To contradict it would amount to unbelief. And again, what Bart is showing over and over again, and that modern Christianity doesn't get, is that we don't contribute. We don't contribute anything to this business of, 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 of faith. We, we, we don't, we don't suss things out intellectually. We don't, uh, make our way there emotionally. Nothing we do, nothing, nothing can happen unless God does the work. And this right. is something Campbell, of course, you know, has been showing massively in his new Pauline dogmatics. And Doug, of course, uh, is a very good interpreter of Karl Barth and, um, and is able to, I think, show the Pauline structure of Barthian thinking some people will claim, oh, he's showing the Bartian structure of Paul. I'm thinking, no, no, he's he's showing that Bart and Paul thought along the same lines. Right, we, have, right, we, have, right. we have a continuum here. And so I think it's incumbent upon us uh, to, to take that continuum and live it into our lives and bear uh, as much light uh, to the world as, as we, we possibly can and, um, and, and help folks begin to traverse out of their dualistic thinking and into the school and through the school of Karl Barth. Yeah. I was uh, looking at the uh, summary that uh, on the Barman declaration on Wikipedia. And one of the things, and this seems to be foundational to Barth and I believe also Campbell, uh, you know, it's got the six theses. And the first one says the source of revelation is the only, is only the word of God, Jesus Christ. And when they say the term, the phrase word of God, they always mean Jesus Christ, right? They don't mean the Bible as, as the way that it's is used correct. today, right? That is correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big shift in thinking the way people now use that term word of God. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the, the third one, which is what you were saying here quite a bit on, was the third thesis, at least the summary here on Wikipedia says, the message and order of the church should not be influenced by the current political convictions. And that's a lot what you were talking about, what seems to be going on today. Oh, I'll tell you, there's no more important document for American Christianity today than the Barman Declaration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even that summary was pretty powerful when I was looking at it the other day. Um, yeah, it was, uh, I'm like, wow, it kind of felt like it 
hit home as what's in our climate today, you know? Well, I did a, I did a piece three years ago. I wrote a piece um, challenging the politicization of the gospel by the Christian left, because I spent 40 years writing against the evangelical tradition, you know? And that piece, which challenged the Christian left, uh, I titled Theological Existence Today. It was my, right. my way of saying, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to bring Bart to these people, whether they like it or not. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But progressive Christianity is a shallow movement, and it'll get washed away in the next few years. Um, I think you're going to see uh, evangelicalism die on the vine if Trump loses. They'll just get nasty and mean and... and um, claim the devil is uh, somehow strong again. I, I just wonder how does the devil beat uh, the Cyrus of Isaiah 45? <laughs> <laughs> Where's that in scripture? You know, find that paradigm, right? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we're at the section where I get to pick your brain. A yeah. Bit. Good luck yeah. if you can find it. Remember. Good luck, huh? I'm candidate. The zombies won't, won't hurt me. I got no brain. So one of the things, yeah. So one of the things we're trying to do in this podcast too is to help lay persons, you know, lay people, kind of uh, how to think, I guess, or not. That's not the right way to say it. To help you along the process of your thinking. I love it. Hmm. We don't. We don't. We don't want to. We don't want to think for you. No. We want you to 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 kind of process these things. And one of the things that uh, I was talking with Michael the other day. We had a quick phone call, and uh, I, you know, when I was a kid, I was always told, you know, just to question everything. You know, uh, don't accept things at face value; just question them. And and uh, and I kind of always, you know, so that's kind of always been in my mind as I grew up. And so, you know, when I would hear sermons at church, they just didn't sound right. You know, it, it didn't. And even with the minimal knowledge I had at the time. I kind of kept, you know, I would hear sermons, especially a lot of sermons from the Old Testament. And I'm like, but how does that relate to Jesus? Yeah. You know, it, it, and, and, you know, so, you know, so throughout my entire Christianity, you know, that's what drove me to reading more than anything and searching. And as you said, you know, my faith trying to seek this understanding of what it is that I allegedly believe. Right. And that led me to a lot of questions, you know, like uh, kind of the logic I was telling you earlier about how I kind of look at the gospel today and why, if you look at it from that perspective, why that becomes important to me, at least that at least became a place of where this is one of the reasons the gospel, the real gospel is important, or at least right. the real gospel, right. according to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's 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 in that process of thinking through things, you know, and so. It led me to, you know, I, I audited a bunch, you know, I lived in, in Southern California, so I audited a ton of classes at uh, Talbot Theological Seminary, uh -huh. uh, a bunch of classes there, and uh, took some classes online at the University of Chester, which is in the UK. Uh, you know, Anthony Thistleton at the time was a resident professor there. It, it did me no good because I didn't get any of his classes, but. <laughs> oh, I love my Thistleton. <laughs> yeah. But but it was a, a point of conversation. Hey, you know, Thistleton teaches there. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's fantastic. Big yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I think that one of the things that I think that you could uh, help us and, you know, together navigate through things is like, I, I think that I think the first thing is don't be afraid to ask questions. Right. That's the thing I think Christians have got to get over. Don't be afraid to question what you're being taught, because if you are, then you're just being indoctrinated, right? Pretty much. I, I would say this, too. Um, don't be afraid to ask questions, but let a mentor help you ask better questions. Right, right. You know, and, and, that, and But that's a struggle, though, right? I mean, where do you find a, where do you find a good mentor, man? Uh, right here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Well, there's you, yeah, but no, I'm saying the, where do you find the average person uh, or whatever, you know? Yeah, that 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 could be a challenge. Um, yeah, I always just went straight for the jugular. I mean, if I wanted a mentor, I called Rene Girard on the phone. I called Walt. You know, I, right? Well, and I just I just talked and I made friends with him, and then you know I just yeah, <laughs> but that, that was the easy way. Yeah, yeah, and you know, for me, like early on, you know, I was in a Pentecostal church and pretty much stuck with it for most of my adult life. But even early on, you know, they were they were really against education, really against going to college, right. and that always rubbed me wrong. Like, wait a minute, man, I 
I want to learn, you know, I, I mean, in spite of what they told me, I still went to college and, and learned, uh, uh, you know, whatever, did some engineering stuff uh, because it didn't sound right to me. It just sounded like, no, it sounds like you guys are trying to control me and I don't like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, why would anybody be against any sort of education? That always baffled me. You know, it's just like, that doesn't sound right at all. <laughs> yeah. You know, they always had their jokes about a seminary. They call it cemetery. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, you, you, you also, you know, you said you're part of the Jesus movement, evangelical. So now was your church more encouraging about an education or were they kind um, of saying? It was the, the it was so interesting. The when I when I was 18, uh, had the whole Baptist born again experience, went into the conservative Baptist church in California and uh, they were right. Uh, I was immediately picked up and discipled by a family. And I look back on that experience. I mean, I mean, we're doing the whole Bill Gothard. I've got the Schofield reference Bible. I'm listening to Francis Schaeffer and reading John McCarthy. Right. You know, I'm doing the whole nine yards. Um, but I will ever, ever be grateful my whole life for this um, family's taking me in on many, many levels. But right, right. they were big into Bible memory and right. memorizing scripture. And so I just immediately, and that, uh, went, I went straight into Bible college out of high school and started learning Hebrew and Greek. And in the, when we entered the Jesus movement, I entered the, that next year, it would have been, I graduated in 1975. So I would have, it was late 19, summer of 1976, when I entered church in the park, which was in the next town over, Modesto, California. And I lived near Turlock. And so I went to this um, meeting this when they had, they had guitars and they were singing songs and people were writing songs, you know, and uh, right, right. it was just happy. And, oh, my gosh, it, it was it was like what I wanted rather than the Sunday morning harangue by this very bad preacher. So I just started going there and eventually left the Baptists altogether. And then my wife would eventually join me down in Modesto and we would be part of the Christian community. But they had, they were not, they were not affiliated with a church. It was, it was a, a number of folks from different churches that got together to form this thing that became a little house church of about 18 people. You know, when we arrived, it was about 18 of us. You know, we became a covenant family. You know, we were, we were going to live together for life. You know, I mean, it was that serious, right, right. really serious stuff, you know, and, and but but it, it you know it, it didn't work out that way and there was a lot of disappointments when the shepherding movement came in and just ruined absolutely everything that you know, yeah could be ruined but my, my you know i i i've i've been jaundiced ever since i've never had an experience like i had with with that community ever in the church you know it's it's the church's uh Church is irrelevant to me after that experience. It always has been. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I don't want to dog, you know, my Pentecostal evangelical experience as all bad. I mean, there was a lot of good in it. Lots of great relationships. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think it's the, the theological area where at least the, the fellowship that I belong to, I think, where it really struggled, you know. And, and you know, even though they would kind of tell you, no, theology is no good. But I'm like, but that's exactly what you guys are doing. <laughs> you're, doing yeah. you're doing theology. You know, you are. You have your doctrines, your beliefs. That's theology. I don't know what you want to call it, but right. that's what it is. Right. You know, and it's, it's it, you, know, you know, one of the things that I was kind of when we were talking the other day, you know, I was just talking about just using logic you know if you read you know the whole chapter of romans 5 where it just starts talking about um, christ and adam christ and adam yeah 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 you know and the difference between the two you know and 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 kind of like and it's one of the the things that i just looked at early on logically and but when i say early on in the last 10 years whatever uh you know as i was kind of rethinking stuff is that when you look at that piece uh it, one of the things that it's talking about, people take what Adam did. Okay, I'm going I'm to just you stick with yeah. the name Adam. That you know, with the fallen Adam, they take it as a matter of fact. It's not has nothing to do with faith or belief. It's like no, Adam damned all humanity. He ruined. He took us all down with him. That dirty dog. Right. So, so, right. So he had the power to do this. But in the same breath, in the same paragraphs, there he talks about Jesus saying, "But Jesus fixed everything. No. His life, death, and resurrection fixed what Adam broke." And so now all can have fellowship with the father. 
And so I would tell my Christian friends, I said, so if there's no faith required for what Adam did, because it's a matter of fact, then there shouldn't be any faith required for what Jesus did. It should be also a matter of fact. So, so, you know, maybe, you know, that's one of the other things I struggle. So then what is faith and how do we use faith? We can talk about that at a later point because we, we're running we, out of time. We really here. Do but, that yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe we could talk about that next week. We can continue this conversation on, you know, what, so what is faith if it isn't, you know, if it doesn't. And I like the way Douglas Campbell said it when uh, I was listening to one of his lectures a few years back. And he says, what we've reduced the cross to is that if you happen to notice it, then it has meaning and power. So in other words, if nobody notices, i.e. faith, then Jesus accomplished that's nothing. That's right. And that, man, when he said that, I'm like, yeah, 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 that's my where my, I'm just not as smart as Douglas. That's where my line of thinking was going, you know. Yeah. It's like, it, it doesn't, it, it happened, it changed. You know, and I think that uh, the Galatians commentary uh, helped me along those lines too, the one you Lou recommended Martin. by Lou Martin. Yeah. yeah, that's an excellent, if you guys haven't read that one, highly, highly recommend oh, yeah. that commentary. Well, we're coming to a close here, Mike. Robert, thanks for the interview today and the time together. I appreciate your work, and uh, yeah, yeah, we'll look yeah. forward to doing this again next Monday. So just a couple of uh, shameless plugs here before we go. You, uh, I do encourage everybody to uh, buy Michael's uh, book, which was uh, really helpful for me, The Jesus Driven Life. Highly recommend that. Still available in print, still available on Kindle. Also, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're uh, – you can follow us on uh, the Path Pod, uh, the Path Podcast. The Path. Podcast. You can follow us there on Twitter. Yeah, the the Path Podcast. All right. You can follow us there on Twitter. And Michael, you got a Twitter account too. He's not as active. Nowhere near as active there as he is on Facebook. So that is the place to follow Michael at. Yeah. Uh, but you guys are. Yeah, I think my Twitter account is at peace underscore theology. And I'm not, I'm really not active on Twitter. I don't know really how to use Twitter. I, I feel like a twit yeah. every time I use Twitter. No, nah, I'm just, you know, yeah, bad joke, yeah. bad joke. But, but uh, yeah, there we are, man. We do uh, want to thank all our listeners here. Uh, thank you for listening to On The Path podcast. We hope yeah. you find these talks engaging and we'll see you all next Indeed. week. Peace and love. All Robert, right, man. Take care. All right, be Bye blessed. Now. Later.